enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. I greet you in the name of Jesus Christ today. We're glad that you have chosen to join us for this week's sermon of the Cape Elizabeth Church of the Nazarene. God's Word is full of timeless truths that are relevant to our lives today. We invite you to explore these truths with us each week. Sometimes uh, I'll hear someone share a word, a critique about society or about how things are going or how things are different. And most of the time i just like, okay, whatever, that's just an opinion. That's, that's, that's okay. That's just someone telling me what they think. Every now and again I hear it echoed again and again and again. And one of those such phrases is the phrase... Uh, we are living in a society where everybody gets a trophy, everybody gets a medal, everyone gets an award, it seems. And, uh, and uh, thinking about that, I'm like, well, you know what? It doesn't just happen at youth events. Usually the critique is we're ruining our youth, you know, everyone's getting an award. But it doesn't just happen there, I found out. Uh, in watching professional sports, you find that uh, even if it's not an official award, there's always acknowledgement for something that is phenomenal, even if they have to dig for it just a little bit. So, for instance, you could be watching baseball. You could be watching a perfectly average major league pitcher, who, who's still a phenomenal pitcher, uh, but, you know, a perfectly average major league pitcher. And you might have an instance where all of a sudden they're like, do you know that this pitcher in the ninth inning, when there are two outs, has the most strikeouts <laughs> when the count is three and two. <laughs> like, you know, they'll just, they'll just hone in, and then they'll take that stat, and they'll put it on a list with others who are similar. And all of a sudden, you'll see this very mediocre pitcher in a list with, like, Hall of Famers, and you're like, whoa, okay. But they'll find ways of doing that. You could, watch, you could be watching football tonight, same thing, same thing. Did you know, in the red zone, on the second down, this quarterback gets more touchdowns than anyone else in the league. And, like, and, in the, and, and, and in their career, it measures up with, and all of a sudden you'll be like, oh, well, this is a perfectly average quarterback. But all right, we got a chance on this down in this quarter at this time. <laughs> and so like, like we, we find ways uh, of doing that. There, there's a uh, baseball player right now who is uh, pretty good, uh, well-known on the West Coast, Fernando Tatis Jr., and uh, he's just a very athletic, very talented baseball player right now. His father, uh, not a Hall of Famer, played in baseball though, but he holds a record. I remember this record. It happened in 1999. His record, his dad, just perfectly normal person, but on one particular day when playing for the Cardinals, hit two grand slams in the same inning. That doesn't happen very often. In fact, he's the only one to have hit grand slams. But now you want to look at stats of who's hit the most RBIs in an inning, who has the most RBIs in a game. His name is going to be up there with some all-time grades. And so, like, these kind of, like, one good day just, just sets him up. And so, like, but everybody, like, Eve, everyone, uh, you know, gets some kind of recognition if you just, you know, look uh, uh, just, if you look hard enough, and stat, st statisticians have a good time with that in sports. And so when I hear that kind of statement, I'm like, yeah, yeah, we do do that. But when I think about it, when I, when I hear something like, yeah, everyone gets acknowledgement in some way, yeah, we do that. But I don't think things have changed that much. I remember that as a kid as well. In fact, I remember having those award ceremonies 
And there was always one award no one wanted. <laughs> Remember that one? One award I didn't want anything to do with. Most improved. <laughs> the mo- and I got that one time, and I remember that was, like, that was like the walk of shame. The most improved award is to the sports world what Dundee Awards are to the office. Uh, that one was for our drummer, uh, who's not here right now, but uh, he's a huge office fan. You don't want this award. And one year I got that. And yeah, that year I had worked hard. I don't remember what sport it was, probably basketball. I had worked hard to uh, get there. My family, not athletic. Uh, they did not grow up with a ton of different sports, and so they didn't push that on me. But I really wanted to be good at some, whenever I played. And so, I, yeah, I worked hard for it. But that award, oh, that award is... The award you give the person, you don't know what else you're giving them. (laughs) And I knew that even as a kid. That award means you were bringing the whole team down, but then you got your act together. (laughs) Like That's what that award means. Uh, No one wants that award. We want to be known for the person who hits the hardest, runs the fastest, throws the hardest. I'd even take the award for the one who lifts up team morale. But please, please, not the most improved award. And so uh, today I want to look at a passage of scripture that seems to kind of play into this just a little bit. We want to see just where uh, Jesus is giving credit here. Let's look at uh, Luke chapter 18, verses uh, 9 to 14. This is a parable. A parable is a story with a message, a point, a, a, a greater truth. So here we go. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. But even the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. You know, um, we strive for greatness. We strive for better things. We strive for righteousness, we strive for perfection, we strive for status, for means, all those kinds of things. When I was a kid, speaking of that award, I remember, I remember the various sports. I remember getting my friends out as often as I could. I remember throwing baseballs against walls, or well, tennis balls usually. Uh, they bounce better, but uh, I remember, I remember in, in, in high school, I'd, I'd have a volleyball, and I'd just bang that up against the wall, learning how to set a volleyball so I wouldn't just slap it. I, I wanted to get better. I remember as a kid, uh, uh, I wanted to play basketball in junior high, and we had behind my house, there was this community playground, and they had a basketball hoop, and I said, okay, I'm going to practice basketball, and I went out there all the time, but it was a funny basketball hoop, it wasn't a square, it was one of those curved ones, and so it was kind of weird to practice any kind of angle shots or bank shots. Uh, it was also strange because it was a, uh, it was a dirt ground. <laughs> it wasn't paved at all. Have you ever tried dribbling a basketball on dirt? 
Like every little bump causes it to bounce every which way. So you have to look down when you're dribbling. And normally in basketball, you want to keep your eyes up. To this day, I'm still terrible at dribbling a basketball. Some of my friends would tell me I'm still not great at shooting, but don't listen to them. <laughs> uh, so so like, like this is just one of those like, but we strive, we work. And we say, okay, I can do this. And, uh, and whatever it is that we want to attain to, we work hard for it. And when we get there, we like to look back at that hard work and at our sacrifices and at our accomplishments and say, I know what I've overcome. I know the hurdles that were there, and yet somehow I made it. And we look back and say, this is awesome. And I think there is a temptation wherever there is success. And I think, the, well, there's often several. But I think one of the greatest temptations when we reach an element of success in whatever it is that we were looking for, is the temptation to say, I deserve this more than anyone else. Now, it's one thing to say, okay, I deserve this. Like, right, we should understand that, you know, with hard work and with, with uh, uh, a commitment to something that, you know, there will, it will yield results and favorable results. There's, there's, there's great value in that. But I think the temptation is to say, I deserve this more than someone else. Because we know from our personal experience, we know, well, I know what I had to overcome. I know the temptations to quit. I know the struggles. I know the hurdles. I, I know what I faced, and yet somehow that adversity I overcame, and now here I am reaping the rewards. I deserve this more than anyone else. Because, of course, we're not in their shoes. We don't quite feel their adversities or their struggles, or if it was even the same as our own. And so... And I think that is, and so that I think is one of the greatest temptations of success. It's not just, ah, uh, okay, reward well earned, but the sense of it's for me and I deserve it more than anyone else. And so this Pharisee here in this, this story very much recognizes kind of where he is and, and, and his place. And he goes up to God to pray. And he has the strangest prayer, the strangest prayer. He says, basically, God. I thank you, I'm not among the worst people in the world. <laughs> now, usually when we're proud of our success, it's because we think we've worked harder, we've studied better, we saved harder, we sweated more, we, we've perfected our craft a little better, schmoozed a little uh, better, we've made those better connections. We've done this better than the average person, right? <laughs> we've done this better than most people around us, and we've reached to some level of success and we're like, yes, I did it because I put in the time. The Pharisee's prayer is odd, really odd. God, thank you. I'm not, I'm better than the bottom of the barrel. Like, he's like, he's like, he's, he, 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 he's saying, hey, I'm glad I'm not one of these criminals. Or, 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 or at the very best, I'm glad I'm not as immoral as somebody else. But I think we learn something from this very odd way of putting it. I think he says out loud what sometimes many people think to themselves and keep in. Oh, he's got it bad. I'm glad I don't have to deal with that. I'm glad I don't have to put up with that. And by saying it aloud in this parable, we hear just how calloused our thoughts can really be. You ever hear someone who got caught on a hot mic? 
because they thought they turned it off. Hear someone whisper something under their breath. Or hear someone talking about you. When someone's inner thoughts are laid bare before the public, we find out just how shallow those thoughts really are. I had a friend, we had gone to a ball game. Uh, it was, this was at school, it wasn't like a professional game, but uh, we, we were, it, was, it was at school, we were bleachers, and we were sitting there, and we were just talking and having a good time, and there's people in front of us and around us and behind us, and we're just talking. At one point he says to me, hey Tim, do you know so-and-so? And I said, yeah, I think I know her. He said, oh man, I can't stand her. She's always like this, she's always like that. And he's just, and he just for whatever reason, just like saying, he doesn't like this person at all, and, and complaining about her, and I'm like, oh, oh, weird, okay. And then suddenly, the person sitting in front of us turns around and looks at us. And she was the very person he's talking about. And his eyes get big. And I'm like, oh man, he's going to be in trouble. I've got to defuse this as fast as I can. And so I say, um, well, that'll teach you never to talk about someone behind their back. <laughs> and so she, realizing he's literally behind her back, she laughs. And she's like, okay, I just got punked. <laughs> and uh, so she laughs and she turns around. And I look at my friend. His eyes are still big. And I don't think he knew she was there. <laughs> and so, like, in that moment, you know, you get pictures of what somebody could really be like. And so this Pharisee, when he says out loud, what I think a lot of times can just be in our heads, we start to realize that those thoughts are incredibly, incredibly crude. And he says, you know, I'm glad I'm not like this tax collector. This tax collector, like no one likes them at all. Not then, not now. I mean, we don't like our taxes now. People are complaining about how long it's taking to get their tax returns back. But back then, there were no tax returns. No one liked them at all. Their scales used to determine your tax. That's about as truthful as a used car salesman. I mean, like, like they just did not trust their tax collectors. And so he uses them as an example. Hey, this is someone nobody likes, no one wants. And when he says, Lord, forgive me, a sinner, we can imagine what some of those sins are. I found myself looking at this at first and going, okay, it's simple. He's saying, hey, I'm not as bad as people who've hurt others. But like this tax collector is someone who's probably taken advantage of others. When he says, Lord, forgive me, he's not just talking about, hey, what I did personally. He's recognizing, hey, I probably messed up and hurt some other people as well. And yet, when he goes before God and says, Lord, forgive me, I'm a sinner, Jesus says, it's this guy this tax collector who goes home justified. And this is outrageous because the Pharisee, as much as we like to rail against them and say like, oh, they just don't get it, they've never gotten it. Like, when you look at it, he's, he is living his life the way it seems God wants us to live our lives. He is doing everything he can to, to live how it is expected. We, we heard the prophet that Pat read for us, you know, the warning against Jerusalem for, for not living according to God's righteousness. And so without a doubt, there are people who are like, hey, this righteousness is important because there's real consequences and there's real promises based on our faithfulness here. And the Pharisee seems to say, hey, and I'm going to be that person. But of course, he does so recognizing that, yeah, I'm better I've overcome more. 
I've made it. I'm not like this person. But yet God grants justice to the one who just cries out to God and says, God, I'm sorry. When we hear this, we have to exclaim, God, what are you doing? (laughs) God, don't you know you can't just hand awards out to everybody? (laughs) I mean, there isn't even evidence of much improvement from this guy yet. (laughs) All he did was say, sorry. I mean, at least wait until he pays back what he stole, right? But at least uh, the idea back during this time was with repentance came life change. It's part of the prevailing opinion. And so if you're going to repent, if you're going to ask God into your life and God's Spirit to work in your life, uh, that it is going to create change and that you're going to commit yourself now to the ways of God. So this isn't a parable about cheap grace or, or some kind of like way of saying, oh, well, I can just say I'm sorry and then continue to do what I'm doing. This is, this is not the story at all. It is a story, though, nonetheless, that justification is offered to those who just humbly come before their God and say, Lord, I need you, and I'm sorry. This is good news for us. This is good news in that recognizing, confessing our sins to God brings about justification. Justification, or, or to be justified, is basically just a way of saying our relationship with God is restored. It's a way of saying whatever it is that might have kept us away from God no longer separates us. That God sees us as a part of his family. To bring in right relationship with God. And that will ultimately lead us toward right relationships with one another. And so this parable is very clearly saying there is chance, there's a chance and there's a hope for all of us. For each and every one. And it doesn't matter what the past has been. And for each one sitting here, each one watching, whether it's now or in the future, to know without a doubt that God loves you and says, I want you to be a part of my promise and my future, the very promise and future that Brenda read for us a moment ago. This is available to everyone without without condition. Here it is. Will we put ourselves before the Lord for that? And so Jesus says, he goes home justified. And he, and, he, and he says a word of warning. Whoever exalt themselves will be humbled and vice versa. Now this is um, a, a strange way to, uh, of still looking at this. I think in our society now we've come to understand we like humility. I think we've heard this very common parable long enough and that it has just kind of been a part of our culture that we value it in some way. Like when a celebrity isn't humble or when uh, somebody just uh, is too boisterous about their accomplishments, we go, all right, all right. Like we know, we know, we don't like that. But that certainly is not the case for this time. Again, there was concern in the Jewish community to, to, to live one's life blameless, as we heard uh, uh, the consequences for not doing so from uh, Zechariah, but also in in previous sermons, we've heard that they had sacrifices just in case they had sinned. You know, those, 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 those sins that were not intentional, that they just wanted to make sure that, hey, our goal is to make sure there is nothing dividing us and separating us from God. But there, but you know, even those rules and those laws 
that came about after they were uh, saved from Egypt and as their nation is developing. Like it's been a thousand years now, 600 to a thousand years, and now Jesus is here. And so then the question for us is, okay, is that still the mindset? Is there any other influences here? And a lot of times I'll just say, hey, this is, this is what their thoughts were, but I'll actually give you an example today. Uh, now, here they are. They also are, um, uh, their culture has also been conditioned by Greek thought. The Greeks are here, the Greeks and Romans. Um, they're speaking Greek now uh, uh, ever since Alexander came through, and now the Romans are in the lead empire, but there's, that culture is still there. And so, just not too long uh, before Jesus was this very, very famous philosopher who talked about what it meant to be a good friend, to live towards happiness, to be a good member of society, how, what, how important that was, a guy by the name of Aristotle. And you can look at what he thinks about uh, how we're supposed to live our lives, and basically he says this, he says, the goal is to be virtuous. You want to be virtuous. And the way you're virtuous is, is to have all the virtues in a balance. You don't want it to an excess, because that would create problems, and you don't want it to be deficient, because that would be, create problems. And he lists tons of different virtues of, of what it means to live. And, and, and nowhere in any of those virtues is humility a virtue. In fact, humility is a vice for Aristotle, this great philosopher who was leading the whole ways in which their culture thought. He said this because he thought, you know, you need to know who you are and you need to know what it is that you're able to do. There was, there was one virtue that just kind of always kind of stayed in my mind. One of the reasons it stayed in my mind is that I had to look up what in the world it meant. <laughs> uh, the virtue was, was magnanimity. And it means more than just being generous. I think, the, I think 2,000 years later, we, we just think it means someone who's generous. For Aristotle, it meant this, someone who knows their status in life and is living according to that status. That's what it means. Uh, Because someone who lives above their status, someone who has it in excess, someone who's vain, that's, that's a vice, that's not good. But someone who doesn't live according to their status and lives below their status, well, that's a problem because now they're not fulfilling the expectations everyone has for them in society. And so, so to know your role, and sometimes that means you, when you have opportunities to be generous, you are generous, but w- without a doubt it means live with the honor and the awards and the status that the society has given you. That is now your responsibility. That was one of his virtues. And so without a doubt... Yeah, oh, like it seems weird. Uh, today, in today's world, uh, we have that in some, some ways today. today. Today's words, way of saying it would be, um, if you got it, flaunt it. <laughs> like, like, whatever you have, let everyone know you have it. Let everyone know what your status is. Let everyone know how many likes you have or how, <laughs> how, you know, how many followers you have or what kind of car you have or whatever it is. Let people know. But Jesus specifically shuts down that way of thinking because the Pharisee here is modeling that perfectly. He knows who he is. He knows how far he's come. He knows what God has done. And he says, here I am, and I'm not like the people whose statuses are below me. And Jesus shows just how callous and cold Virtues like that can be.
And this passage is sandwiched between a persistent widow just before that, someone who has no claims to anything, who, who, who's lost any claims to, to any kind of property or any kind of a wealth, and is just going to judge again and again and again, hoping for grace, hoping for some kind of ruling in her favor. And Jesus says the kingdom of God is like this. And after this passage, is a story about little children. And Jesus says, let the little children come to me. That the kingdom of God is for these little children. Can you believe it? For these little ones. They haven't worked a day in their life. <laughs> God's grace is for them. And, and then even after all that, we say, okay, okay, God's able to be gracious to anyone He wants. Actually, they could have very easily said about these parables, okay, I get it, I get it. God's just magnanimous. <laughs> he knows his station. He can be generous with who he wants to be generous. Just in case we forget the message, the next, pass, the next story is the story of the rich young ruler. <laughs> I've got everything. I'm in my station. And God says, we'll, or Jesus says, we'll sell it all. If we ever read the Gospels and find ourselves thinking, well, I deserve this more than somebody else. I'm more worthy than anyone else. We have missed something absolutely essential about the gospel. Our salvation is always a gift, freely given without any condition. And God wants, it to, get, wants to give it to us and give it to them, whoever they might be. And it is ever-present and it is ever-available. That is the nature of the good news of the story of Jesus Christ. That he loves and desires to bring us into relationship with God and one another. And if we accept that, then we know no matter what the past has been or no matter how far along we've come. Or if we, like Jacob, are still wrestling with God and bearing the marks of that wrestling, that's okay. God is pleased to raise up a nation out of that. For Jacob will take on the name Israel. That, that, if we, that we can recognize it doesn't matter where we are in that relationship. God has said if we come before Him and just say, Lord, I need you. Lord, forgive me. Lord, you are worthy, and I'm before you. That God will forgive. And if we find, after all that, that we work hard in conjunction with God's Holy Spirit, and, and things start to change, and our life starts to, to move up, and, 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 and uh, even our, our, how close we are to God just, just, starts to, just starts to climb, and it's like, yes, this is exactly what I wanted. It's exactly what I hope for and been praying for. And if we become everything God has wanted for from us, no matter whatever our past was. But if we ever get to the point where in our holiness we are looking down on others, then we have entirely forgotten when and where God met us. If we ever climb up that mountaintop to pray, and thinking that we deserve something, or we're better than anyone else who's still working with God and still wrestling with God, then let us remember there is nothing more humbling than a most improved award. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your grace. 
I thank you for your love that reaches out to us exactly where we are. And Lord, I find myself thinking that even as we look at this passage, and it's very easy for us to tear down the group that is kind of set up as the foil again and again in the Gospels. I can't help but think sometimes the tables might even turn a little bit. Sometimes uh, in our faith we might even say, God, I'm, I'm, I thank you, I'm not like a Pharisee. <laughs> and Heavenly Father, your, I'm so glad that your, your grace is there for us wherever we are. Thank you for that promise. Thank you for your Son who has offered that. And Lord, it is my hope today that though this is a very familiar passage, that your Spirit would remind us again of just how radical your grace is and just how committed you are to continue again and to begin again the work of salvation and the work of holiness in the lives of your people and the people whom you are still beckoning to respond. Thank you for that. Help us, Heavenly Father, to see with grace, to see with hope what you are doing, that indeed all judgment would be, left, uh, would be thrown away. Thank you again for this time and for your grace. In a moment, Heavenly Father, I know we're going to receive communion. And I hope that as we come, we remember we come with nothing. We offer nothing to receive these elements. It is all by grace. And so, Heavenly Father, we just come penitent, saying, Lord, here we are. Amen. Amen. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this sermon podcast. We hope that the message has inspired you to draw closer to God each day. May God bless you as you serve him today. <laughs>